Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Allow me to read John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and led him first to Honest first, uh, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing out at the door outside, so the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves of the, and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest, Annas, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I have said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one who, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, as we open up your word today, we see two total opposite extremes, Lord, of how we deal with our faith. Lord, we see Jesus as he boldly defended his relationship with you, his Father, as well as protecting his own disciples, then we see Peter denying even knowing Jesus. Lord, help us to realize that in this world today, there are many who will oppose anyone who claims to have a relationship with you through your son Jesus. Lord, help us to decide even now how we will respond. Then, Lord, be the strength Filled with, our, with your spirit so that we will stand firm in our convictions. Guide us, Lord, as we continue to study your word. Help us to understand it and to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said, this is almost like a novel where you read along and you kind of get one group of characters and all of a sudden it shifts over to a totally different scene. And that's basically what is happening here. We see Jesus being questioned by uh, the former high priest, Honest, uh, 
And then we also see Peter being questioned by various different people. And it kind of goes back and forth in the book of John. I'm not sure why, but it does. So instead of going back and forth, I'm actually going to take what happens with Jesus first, and then we'll look at the drama with Peter. So kind of looking like two different dramas. The first drama is the beginning of Jesus' mock trial. Uh, it covers verses 12 through 14. Then it skips down. It picks back up with verse 19 through 24. So if you remember last week, the, the cohort, which is about 600 armed guards, armed soldiers, they come not knowing what kind of resistance they may expect, and they're ready for war. And all they had to do is wait for Jesus to basically surrender himself to them. You remember Jesus said, who are you seeking? They said, we're seeking Jesus the Nazarene. He says, I am. And they fell back. 600 men fell to the ground from two words that Jesus spoke. But Jesus again asked, who do you seek? Once again, they said, Jesus of Nazarene. He said, I've already told you, I'm him. Let these others go their way. And then they arrested Jesus. And now we see that the Roman cohort, the 600 armed men, as well as the commander, as well as the officers of the Jews. Now, who are the officers of the Jews? Well, the temple had its own guards to keep peace among their own civilian uh, people there. And so these would be Jewish soldiers to an extent. They were the guards of the temple. And so we have all this group of Romans and Jews, and they're all about one thing, taking one man into custody. Well, they take him into custody, they arrest Jesus, and they bound him. Now, the Bible here doesn't really share exactly what happened, but more than likely, Jesus had his arms behind him, either tied with ropes or shackled. Now, that takes away any threat for him striking out or causing more trouble or any trouble. And so he's bound and he is taken before Annas. Now, who is he? He is really the person in control of Jewish life. He had been the high priest at one time, and uh, when Rome kind of took over control of Jerusalem, they also kind of took over some of the Jewish culture and laws. Now, when a high priest was named, they were supposed to be high priests for life, but Rome had to approve who the high priest was, and if they felt something wrong, then they could denounce that person's high priest. And Annas was one of those who Rome basically said, you can no longer be high priest. Now, Annas basically was still in control. He was the figure behind the scenes. Four of his sons, as well as his son-in-law, uh, Caiaphas, all served as high priest. And he was basically the power behind each and every one of these guys. So, why in the world does Jesus first have to go before this man? Basically because he is the clout. He is the power of everything that happens in Jewish life. And we're going to find out pretty quickly that everything that happens to Jesus that day is against Jewish law. There's something called the Misha, which has all the rules and regulations that, that the Jewish culture follows, especially the Jewish leadership. Now, Jesus was arrested at night. You remember that. He's immediately taken into a courtyard, into Annas' uh, 
place. And it's totally a mockery. The trial is a mockery. Let me read about seven different things that were illegal, and every single one of them happened in this, quote, trial. And there's many more than this. No trial was to occur during the night hours. It's in the middle of the night. No trial was to occur on the eve of the Sabbath or during festivals. You're right in the heart of Passover. All trials were to be public and held in the Hall of Just Judgment in the temple area, not in Anas's chambers. Capital cases were required a minimal of 23 judges. There's never that many charging Jesus. The accused could not testify against himself. And yet, Annas is badgering Jesus to testify against himself. The high priest was not even supposed to participate in the questioning. Every single one of these laws, this one man was breaking that night. So, we realize that Jesus was not going to get a fair trial. But notice along the way, who's in control? Who takes control of every single statement, every single situation? Jesus does. So we look and we see that Honest has one goal. He wants Jesus to incriminate himself. You know, and even in America, our own laws say that you cannot force uh, the defendant to testify against himself. It's called the Fifth Amendment. I, I, I refuse to testify on grounds it may incriminate me. Well, that's basically the same rules that apply for Jesus. He did not have to say a word. As a matter of fact, according to Jewish tradition, he could not say a word. And one of the other things that, according to Jewish tradition, is the defense actually got to share first before the accusation or the, the convict, those who wanted conviction were able to bring their witnesses, and then they could go back and forth. So we look and we see Honest is the person behind the scene. He wants Jesus dead. But... He is using Caiaphas, who is his son-in-law, as the high priest now. Now, Caiaphas did something a little earlier. Found back in John chapter 11, picking up with verse 48. Caiaphas predicted, or he prophesied these things. It is expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Now, let's put that in context with where he said it. Go back to... John chapter 11, pick up with verse 48. The people were saying, the Jewish leadership were saying, If we let him, Jesus, go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. In other words, Rome wanted peace among the people. And if Jesus was seen as being a rioter, a revolter, someone who's going to be leading uh, the people against Rome, they could not have any of that because they knew that Rome would come and take away their place, the temple, and our nation. They would basically probably annihilate the Jews in Jerusalem. And then picking up with verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for, one, for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now here's his thinking. Let's get rid of the troublemaker and we won't have any problems with keeping peace between us and Rome. But here's what 
John knows. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. In other words, God actually implanted this, this thought in his mind, and God had it interpreted a different way. Jesus was not going to die to keep peace in Rome. Jesus was going to die for the nation, for the people. He was going to die for their sins. So God actually used an earlier prophecy in his own way to bring about what was taking place right here. Matter of fact, uh, pick up with verse 52. And not the, for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were sp scattered abroad. However, Caiaphas meant it this way. Look at verse 53. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. This had been in the works for a long time. Jesus knew it. As a matter of fact, Jesus was in total control as to when this took place. If you read other passages of Scripture, these same Jewish leaders said, let's don't do it during the Passover for fear that all these people who are supporting him may cause a riot. Let's wait until everything calms down. Everybody goes home. The, the million plus people who are sojourned here for Passover, let's wait for them to get back home. Then we'll arrest Jesus and have him killed. But Jesus took control. Remember when he knew that Judas was going to betray him? He knew that Judas had taken those 30 pieces of silver. And he said, Judas, whatever you have to do, go and do it now. Judas knew that Jesus knew. And so he went to those same men that gave him the 30 pieces of silver and said, we've got to do it tonight. We got to arrest Jesus tonight. He knows what's going on. He's going to flee. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. We've got to do it tonight. So Jesus was in control and is still in control. So honest questions, Jesus. Picking up verse 19. Then the high priest honest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now again, Annas was wanting Jesus to incriminate himself. But Jesus takes control of the situation. Number one, he ignores the question about his disciples. Jesus is protecting his followers. Jesus knows that this is all about him. This is the moment that God has set in all of history from eternity past for him to come and to be accused, and to be convicted, and to be crucified. It was not about his disciples. Jesus has spent three and a half years preparing his disciples for this time. He wanted to protect them so that they would be ready to continue his ministry after he went back to heaven. So Jesus is protecting them even though one had already betrayed him, and another is about to betray him. And so we look and we see that Jesus says, all right, you want me to answer the question. I don't have to answer anything. I don't even have to open my mouth according to Jewish law. But here's what I'm going to say. Every single thing that I have taught that you want to know about, I have taught in the synagogues and in the very temple here in Jerusalem. I have not taught anything in secret. Everything that I've ever said has been public. As a matter of fact, why don't you go out and do your work as prosecutors and ask the people who have heard me teach what I have taught? 
That is basically putting the onus back onto the people who are accusing him, which they should have already done anyway. They should have already had their witnesses lined up to accuse Jesus, but yet they did not want to do that. Basically, they already knew the answer. They wanted Jesus to say something that would incriminate himself. But here's something else Jesus could have said. He didn't say it. He said, why don't you ask some of your own Pharisees and scribes what I have said? Because they're always set, standing on the outside of the group listening to what I say anytime I'm teaching in the synagogues or the temple. They can tell you what I've been teaching. Well, something illegal takes place. There's a guard standing beside Jesus. Now, remember how Jesus is. He's got his arms behind his back like this. Does he propose any kind of a threat? But the guard does not like his answer. In other words, he did not incriminate himself. So probably trying to earn some grace with the high priest, he struck Jesus in the face. Now the Bible doesn't say how he struck him. More than likely it was an open-handed slap across the face, probably full speed. Don't think it was a closed fist. More than likely it was an open handed slap which is a sign of humility towards the person receiving it totally illegal you can't strike a man who is defenseless especially when he has not been convicted of any wrong and so Jesus once again takes full control of the situation listen to what he says if I have spoken verse 23 if I have spoken wrongly testify of the wrong. In other words, do your job, bring witnesses against me of what I may have said wrongly. But if rightly, why'd you hit me? Why did you strike me? In other words, Jesus is in control of everything that's taking place. He's saying, you're not doing your job. You're not bringing witnesses against me. Anything I say here, you've got to rebuke with witnesses. If I've said something wrong, bring the witnesses. If I've not said anything wrong, then why did I just get slapped? Jesus is not appealing. He is not saying, I want to get off these charges. Jesus knows that it is his moment to be tried, to be convicted, and then to be crucified. He's not trying to get out of that. That was settled in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed to the Father. He prayed, Lord, if possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. That was settled. He already knew that that was a done deal. From now on, he will face these trials. He will be convicted. He will be crucified. He's not trying to appeal anything. He's just saying, if you're going to try me, let's do it right. Do it by the law. Use witnesses. Whatever is right. So the guard... Responded illegally, Jesus stood his ground and said, Here I am. I'm defenseless before you, but I am not going to allow you to abuse this situation. If you're going to deal with me, do it right. Now, he's not in a big position to do that, is he? Do you remember what I said last week? Here he is in front of at least 600 armed men he's already made them fall to the ground and then when he asks them again who is it that you're seeking they say Jesus the Nazarene he says well I've already told you that I am he 
But let these, my followers, go. Let them alone. I'm protecting them. So that is what Jesus is all about. He's letting everything focus on him, but he's protecting the others, even Peter. Well, verse 24, Annas realizes he's not getting anywhere. He's not getting the testimony that he wants from Jesus. So he binds him to Caiaphas, the high priest. This is his son-in-law. In other words, he's sending him to the legal high priest who has the right and authority to continue this process of this trial. Now, we'll pick up at another time of what happens there. It's beyond what we're studying today. So that's kind of the end of the first drama. Jesus has been arrested. His arms are tied behind him. He stands before honest, uh, the former high priest, uh, basically the power behind all of Jerusalem's uh, laws, and he stands his ground, and he protects his own. Now here's the second drama. Pick it up with uh, verses 15 through 18, and then verses 25 through 27. It says, Peter and another disciple follow Jesus. Now the other Gospels don't really mention another disciple. But John does. But he doesn't name who that disciple is. Some have argued, well, that must be Nicodemus or Joseph Arimathea. They were followers of Christ. They had the, the rights of being in that uh, court, courtroom or that, that courtyard with Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest. They had the right to be there. Well... Probably not. More than likely, if it was one of these men, John would have named them. And from Jesus' arrest to this time, I mean, not much time has taken place, so more than likely those men would not have found out that Jesus had been arrested. Who is it that John almost always does not mention the name of? Himself. He either calls himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's his favorite title of himself, or I believe here where he says, Peter and another disciple. I think it's John. I cannot say that definitively, but that's my, my, my opinion. How could John have access to the high priest's courtyard? Well, he was just a fisherman, right? But if you go back, his father was a important businessman. He didn't have just a, a little boat where he caught just enough fish to feed the family or maybe sold just enough to, to make things get by. He had a business. That's the way that the scriptures kind of talk about him. He had an, an industry of fishing. Also, John's mother came from a priestly tribe. And so there were probably some connections that this family had with the Jewish leadership. And so John was, as he grew up, there, there, there's some speculations and some extra biblical texts where John had actually delivered fish to the high priest. Whether that took place or not, I don't know. But more than likely, this family had some connections with the royalty, with the, with the high priest of Jerusalem. So John, he, he wasn't too worried about being known as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He went directly in following Jesus. Now, there's a slave girl keeping the door. John comes back out and 
Noah and Peter had followed him up to a point, and all of a sudden Peter's no longer there. So he goes back out and finds Peter, and he goes to the slave girl keeping the door and says, Oh, he's with me. Let him in. And so Peter comes in following John. Now the slave girl does exactly what you probably would have done. She sees John, who she knows is the follower of Christ, of Jesus, and she sees Peter following John. So the question is, you're not one of those also who follow this man, are you? In other words, are you like John, a follower of Jesus? And because the question was asked with an expectation of a negative answer, Peter gave a negative answer. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Well, Peter's now in the courtyard. Get through the main door. Courtyard basically opens up into the different buildings. So he's out there. The soldiers and other and slaves have built a charcoal fire in order to keep, keep warm with. And the Jerusalem area is hot in the daytime and cold at night. And so it had gotten chilly at night. It's middle of the night. And so they had stoked a, a charcoal fire to stay warm with. Do you know that in just a very short time, somebody else is going to build a charcoal fire for Peter to sit around? Jesus, when he restores him. But Peter doesn't want to just stand out in the middle of the courtyard all by himself. He doesn't want to look suspicious. So he moves in and stays with them. Well, we don't know if it's the slave girl at the door or if others just kind of looked and said, well, okay. There's John. We know him. Well, who are you? You're with John. We know that John is a follower of Jesus. So are you not also a follower of Jesus? I'm not. Second time, Peter denies Jesus. Well, these are people who just kind of made the assumption by association that Peter was with John John knew Jesus as his, as his uh, G- John was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So more than likely, we assume that Peter is a... Now here's another that doesn't make any assumptions. Look at verse 26. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, Malchus, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Here's an eyewitness that knows that Peter was in the garden. He may have actually been close by when Peter was swinging that sword that chopped off Malchus's ear. He said, I saw you. You were in the garden, weren't you? And Peter again denies him. Now, John doesn't go into the full picture of of Peter's last denial. Going back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. Now he was taking a vow, an oath, saying, I don't know the man. He was making it very clear. Put my hand on the Bible, I don't know the man. That's what we do today, right? It's basically what Peter was doing. And then the rooster crowed. John doesn't say this, but Matthew does. And Jesus, uh, Peter went out weeping because he knew that he had fulfilled what Jesus had said. 
John chapter 13, verse 38. Jesus answered, Will you, Peter, lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Aren't you glad Jesus hasn't prophesied that we will deny him three times before a rooster crows? Do you know what? Each and every one of us has denied Jesus more than three times. Somehow in our life, we had an opportunity to stand firm, to voice a message of hope, claiming our faith in Jesus Christ, and yet we failed to do it. Folks, just because we didn't say, I don't know the man, doesn't mean we didn't deny him. By not taking the opportunities to share our faith with others, we are equally denying Jesus. Now, what will happen one day, and that day may be closer than we've ever thought possible, what will happen one day when our own nation becomes so opposed to Christianity where we're lined up and asked, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? What do you teach? What will our response be? What will your response be? Well, I've got a lot of evidence against me. I have to pretty much do what Jesus said. Everything I have taught has been done in public. You can come to First Baptist Church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and you can hear exactly what I teach. Matter of fact, we record it. And I put it on a podcast, so it, it's out there in the clouds. It is out there for anybody in the world to listen to. Believe it or not, that podcast has actually been listened to in, in uh, Ireland and Germany and a few other countries. That uh, How in the world they found it? They did a Google search for a passage of Scripture, and it popped up. That's the only way I can figure it out. I have more people listening in Seattle, Washington, than I do in Mississippi. It's amazing. But I just have to say, everything I have ever taught is out there. It's public. Bring your witnesses. There's plenty of them out there. Well, how about all of us? Will we deny? Will we try to protect ourselves from the, the trials, the persecution, even conviction of being a follower of Christ? Folks, that day may be coming very soon. I don't like to be alarmist, but the way things are moving and changing in our world today, that could happen much sooner than later. What's your answer going to be? Well, unfortunately, we've denied Jesus far too often already by being silent. We need to speak up. We need to be proclaimers of his word. Think about that as we close. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, I thank you for knowing that Jesus was willing to, to stand before an unjust legal system. Lord, to be charged, to be convicted, and to be crucified. He knew all this would take place, yet he allowed it anyway. Even though he had the power to walk out at any time. Lord, he did it for us. He did it for those he loved. Those who are willing to bow before him 
as Savior and Lord. But Lord, every one of us is just as guilty as Peter. Lord, in many, many ways we have denied you. Lord, maybe not by saying I do not know the man, but Lord, by not saying what we do believe about you, by sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us of our failures. Restore us so that we can be found faithful in you. Cleanse us. Make us pure and holy in your sight. Strengthen us, Lord, so that we can be your ambassadors, your proclaimers in this world around us. And Lord, prepare us for the day that may come where we may be accused of being a child of God, a follower of Christ, and help us, Lord, to know already what our answer will be. Or may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.